0: There's a lot of markets where people want to be that there's just no land to put it on currently. And so there will be more land developed and made ready for that but those will all take time.
1: Excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. These are the values the Sam and Walton College of Business explores in education, business, and the lives of people we meet every day. I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Walton College, and welcome to the Be Epic Podcast. I have with me today, Dan Andrews, who is the managing partner and CEO at Tempest Realty Partners, Dan, thank you so much for for joining me today.
0: Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Dan, let's start out by just hearing a little bit about what what you do. What does uh, Tempest Realty Partners do?
0: Tempest is uh, a real estate investment firm. We put together uh, opportunities for uh, investors to invest in commercial real estate properties. Uh, we do that. Here in Arkansas and really across the Southeast and Midwest, primarily, Um, built relationships all across the country. And uh, we look for compelling investment opportunities that we want to put our capital in and have other investors join us again.
1: You know, real estate investing can be complicated. What specific kinds of commercial real estate properties are you most interested in? I know, obviously, you said in the Southeast and Midwest but beyond that are there any uh restrictions
0: we typically focus on office properties and industrial properties and there, those are obviously very unique and have their own characteristics as well um, but those are areas that we st- seem to have pretty good expertise in and so uh, that's our focus
1: you know because when you talk about commercial realty there, there's so many possibilities and. So I can understand why you would want to uh, narrow it down. But, uh, you know, within those, with, for example, within office space, for example, how do you find good opportunities? Because there's, there's like, again, I'm, I'm not an expert on real estate at all, but I would think, right, there's uh, properties that are in bad shape there's properties that are in good shape. There's properties that are old, there are properties that are new. Um, the location of the property is important too, I would think. So how do you think through those kinds of, of variables?
0: Yeah, that's the, the real art of it is, you know, translating an infinite number of variables down into a basic capital asset pricing model, right? You take all these variables from all these different things and and you really want to translate it back to a series of cash flows, but then All of those things become an art and you know. Okay, how long is it going to take to find somebody to lease this? What rate are they going to pay? How much incentive am I going to have to pay for them to do that? What's that going to look like over time when I have to uh, find the next tenant in 10 years? What's that going to look like? And so you're making a lot of assumptions and and you do that based on experience and we do that um, with a lot of feedback and help from partners that we've developed over the years in various markets. um, You know, real estate like politics it's all local right everything uh, is very unique to a specific market and even a sub market or even you know just a set of blocks can make a tremendous difference in uh, how a piece of real estate is valued and and how it's going to perform and so it's really helpful to have trusted people on the ground locally that can guide you through the the nuances of the specific property tell you what to expect Um, and and so That's the real key for us. It's been developing relationships with people in these markets, building a level of trust, um, because ultimately we do have to rely on the things that they're telling us to translate those data points back into that pricing model.
1: So, because when you're investing in a piece of real estate, say office uh, space, for example, your investment can get cash flows from it, but the property itself can appreciate and both can happen. There are cases where you might not have great cash flow, but the appreciation is great and and vice versa. Where do you all uh, fall in terms of what your sweet spot is?
0: Well, that's one of the things that we've historically pride ourselves on is being willing to do anywhere along the continuum. So you can have deals that are purely cash flow and not likely to go up in value at all. You can have deals that have no cash flow and you think you're going to make a lot of long term gain and then you have a number of deals that have some kind of blend in there. And so we have a mandate that allows us to do all of those and uh, you know, we'll have certain partners that join us in one style or another depending on their personal preference, but we are really looking for something that we feel is has relative value in it for the position that it's in.
1: Is there a reason you're focusing on the Midwest and the Southeast? Is that because there's you think there's more opportunities there, or is it because of your connections in that area?
0: A little bit of both. Um, we like the Southeast and Midwest, and and particularly secondary markets in those areas, um, because you know it has an ideal blend of uh, being large enough to to have assets of scale that are interesting and and the ability to do some things, and has good velocity for tenants that want to be there and for ultimate buyers that we want to sell to Um, but uh, you know where we really make our money is the fact that you know real estate is an inefficient market in a lot of ways and the larger markets you go to whether it's the west coast or the northeast that inefficiency becomes a lot smaller and so we really uh, like the ability to play in the southeast and midwest because of that factor. And then also just historically, the Southeast and Midwest have not had these massive swings in value. Um, You know, in the economic downturn, they don't drop as far and then they don't run up as high. uh, You know, when the economy is really hot Uh, and we think that makes for a better long term investment over time. Um, People have certainly made a lot of money playing the market right in some of these other markets, but uh, that's just that's not a style that we're particularly comfortable with. And so it fits with our values.
1: When you look at this phenomenon that's going on of remote work, right, there's more and more people working remotely. Um, And there's more and more companies that are allowing people to work from anywhere. And so there's there's a lot of people moving from expensive areas. Um, I know in particular, just from my experience with Northwest Arkansas, you know, we have people moving here from, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, New York, Chicago, and other places like that. I've actually been surprised at how many people, just in my neighborhood, my own neighborhood, people that have moved from those cities and, uh, you know, they're working remotely now. Um, In fact, um, I met about a year ago, the co-founder of Evernote software company. He lived in San Francisco for a long time and grew up in New York City, and he moved to Bentonville. But I've met other people, many, many other people that have had this happen. I'm thinking, now, still, you know, housing prices have gone up here for sure, but nothing like they've gone up in a lot of other places in the country, from what I can tell. Um, But I'm wondering, you know, even though people do work from anywhere, they're also sometimes using office space in these new places that they've they've moved to? Because in some cases, well, in a lot of cases, if you're customer-facing, you've got to be in person. But even when you're not, there's a lot of times that people do want to meet face-to-face uh, about business. H- how is all that factoring into uh, this market?
0: Oh, wow. Th- there's a, a lot there. Um, it's It's been... The topic of conversation every day in our industry, and something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, you know, first of all, right, these secondary markets—places like Northwest Arkansas, places like Columbus, Ohio, Charlotte, North Carolina—those places uh, have benefited tremendously uh, over the past couple of years as people are migrating to places where they have more of a drive-to-work culture, a lot closer to the kind of lifestyle that they want. They don't want to ride public transit to work. They don't want to pay, um, you know, enormous costs for housing. Um, You know, they they like a a little bit smaller town, but these have become kind of a nexus for people to come to outside of a Chicago, a New York, a San Francisco, and uh, so it's been a a major shift. Uh, The second major shift we've seen is, you know, for probably 10 to 15 years prior to covid, there was a a large trend toward the urban core um, where offices were really coming out of suburban office and everybody wanted to be back downtown and you saw these regenerations of downtown um, and you're seeing that trend reverse in a lot of areas. So a lot more activity in suburban office as uh, people don't want to commute into the the urban core anymore. They don't want to get on an elevator and ride to the 25th floor. Uh, You know, they want to go into their suburban office, pull into the parking lot uh, and and walk in and and even then, they may only go to the office for half a day, three days a week or things like that. So that's another changing trend. Um, It's not a total reversal. We still see some very healthy urban core assets, but on the whole, uh, it's definitely changed that trend, uh, at least stopped the trend and probably reversed it a little bit. The third thing that we've seen uh, is the companies that have uh, typically a, a call center or, or a lot of homogenous employees in one location uh, typically they would have, have uh, looked for assets that had a, a very high amount of parking and a ability to have a lot of density uh, within a building and so prior to covid those assets were in high demand in a lot of areas places like omaha places like boise Um, those are the companies that seem to have the most trouble actually with returning to work companies that have executive offices that have you know 10 to 25 to 50 employees less than 10,000 square feet they're actually largely back in full force and the activity in that space is is almost the same as it was in 2019 but the very large users are are really um, finding it difficult to, to come back to work. It's been a very interesting dichotomy between those two types of uh, tenants.
1: Tell me a little bit. So we've talked a little bit about the market, which is so interesting. Where do you get the funds to invest in these real estate opportunities?
0: Yes, yeah, so we have a, a lot of great partners, and, and that's been um, you know built up over uh, you know, a number of years and the careers of myself and my partners. Um, so it's it's family offices. It's it's just successful individuals. It's a, a handful of institutional, uh, you know, insurance company and and those type of investors. Um, and and it's it's developing those relationships over a period of time. And and they've seen our return history and say, uh, you know, we'd we'd like to continue to invest with you. So that's who we go to for each of these deals. And and we have, you know, several hundred of those uh, unique investors that join us uh, when we do a deal.
1: Do you have different funds that you open over time, or is it just a ongoing, rolling uh, type of a fund? We
0: we do real estate in two ways. We have um, w- when we are investing in a property where we have a specific game plan for that property. So we're we're buying an empty building, and we want to do the things we need to do to lease it up or um, you know we're going to develop a property or we're going to um, you know do certain things and then sell a building most of the time there we would go and and have that specific asset and take that specific asset to our investors and say hey here's what we plan to do on this would you like to invest with us on that and then separate from that we have a fund it's a private reit uh, where we have a collection of assets that we say hey these are not necessarily being held to complete a specific investment. These are being held because they're a collection of assets that we have high conviction about and want to own for a long time. So those are the two ways that we invest.
1: And you're managing both of those. That's right. So Dan, we've talked a lot about uh, office space and, and the fund, but why are you interested in industrial as well, not just office space?
0: There's been a, a major change in industrial over the past several years, and it it really uh, began in earnest, uh, I think, under the Trump administration and some of the trade wars and tariffs and those type of things that really uh, companies started to look to to bring manufacturing and things back to the United States. Combined with some of the e-commerce trends that we've seen over a long period of time, and then of course now with COVID and the supply chain disruptions that came from that, um, it's just been a continued driver, but The demand for industrial has been uh, just off the charts the last few years if you look at the statistics on uh, the growth in rental rates and and the vacancy uh, it's just the amount of uh, supply is vastly outstripped by the demand and and there are probably still a number of years worth of development that need to happen in order to meet the existing demand in that space and so there's a lot of capital going to that and seeing that as an opportunity. Um, it's just it, it's going to take some time to to meet that demand because um, it takes time to build buildings and honestly, what we're seeing in a lot of places is, you know um, there's only so many good places that you can put an industrial building. It's got to be zoned properly. It's got to have the right services to it. It's got to be located within proximity to other services and you can't just put a giant industrial building anywhere, and so there's a lot of markets where people want to be that there's just no land to put it on currently, and so there will be more land developed and made ready for that, but those will all take time. So we're, we're very bullish on the future for industrial property over the next several years, um, as, as we continue to see, um, you know, companies bring production and distribution capacity back into the U.S. and then the e-commerce piece. It takes Several square feet of industrial space for every square foot that you pull out of a store, uh, and and start selling with e-commerce, it takes more square footage on in, an in industrial building uh, than it does to do that in retail. And so, as we continue to buy more from Amazon and buy more things online, um, you're going to see continued increased demand there as well.
1: Yeah, and I know. Um, for example, Walmart recently built D.C. and uh, the Northeast. It's kind of like a DC for DCs where product will flow in and then be redirected to DCs. And I know that, um, you know, as walmart.com has grown and also um, pickup and delivery, you know, where people pick up at the store or have it delivered from the store, those create changes in the distribution process at the distribution center that also, you know, require more, a different kind of space but your point about the reshoring, you know, is what they're calling it. Of course, there is a lot of that going on. Of course, the United States, it's funny, a lot of times people think not a lot is produced in the United States, but something like 20% of the world's supply of product is created in the United States, manufactured in the United States. The, the growth in employment and manufacturing has not been very high because we're so productive. But I think, you know you're right. Companies are starting to think more carefully about having all their eggs in one basket internationally. Uh, there's political disruptions that occur, and there's um, natural disasters and so forth. Um, so yeah, there's clearly there's a lot of talk out there about uh, reshoring and nearshoring um, right now. So moving on, um, why would someone want to invest? in your funds
0: well it goes back to something i've touched on earlier but back to relationships in a lot of ways uh, these are are people that uh you know we've known and and one of our partners will have a relationship with um and then over time you know it's grown by you know referrals and and new relationships that we've been able to make because of that but people generally Look to us because, you know, number one, they know we have our own capital in it in a large way. We, we started this business and continue to run this business as primarily a place to deploy the capital that that we're charged with um, for our families. And, and so ultimately, there are people that say, hey, these guys have done well managing their own capital and they're offering me a chance to invest alongside them. And that really resonates with people. Um, and then we, we really try to make it a priority just to, um, you know, invest in real estate relationally. So we want to we want to treat our partners fairly. We treat our partners in the field fairly and and you know. We just look at it all as very much a relationship based business, and so um, that's ultimately how we source our deals. That's how we um, source our capital and you know, so it's relationship first and the other pieces have a tendency to, to fall in place when you're taking care of your
1: relationships. Dan, you're a CPA, I know, but you're really an entrepreneur more than anything. You've started this business that is doing quite well. You've got some great partners, and really running a business like that create you know creates the need for an entrepreneurial mindset con- constantly. We have a certain percentage of our students want to want to be entrepreneurs, you know, and some of them aren't thinking about it, but they're going to be entrepreneurs. Uh, They just don't know it yet. And I would imagine you probably fell into that category since you majored in accounting and then got a CPA. You probably weren't thinking, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. So given your experience as a successful entrepreneur, what advice do you have for our students um, who are interested in entrepreneurship?
0: Well, you're exactly right. I didn't set off to be an entrepreneur. I, I was gonna be a CPA and maybe a partner in an accounting firm or a CFO somewhere, and and that was kind of the the ultimate goal I had for myself. But uh, over time, as as opportunities presented and and uh, you know there were challenges out there to tackle, I just sort of say, found my way into this role. But uh, you know the things I would say is you know number one. Do chase your passion, you know, find the, the area that really makes you excited and go after it. Um, you have these skills and talents for a reason. Go make the most of them. Um, the second is associate with people who are doing big things. Um, you know, There are lots of people out there and you're going to wind up performing to the level of the people that you surround yourself with. So make sure that you surround yourself with people who are doing big things and you'll wind up doing big things as well. And the third thing is, you know don't be afraid to step out there and try something. You know i' I'm a CPA. I came from a you know financial accounting and gap and all those kind of backgrounds. And yet um I found my way into you know real estate and and you know real estate's a field full of extroverts and full of people out shaking hands and and uh, brokers and those kind of things. And that is not me. Um, it was outside of my comfort zone. but, you know, where I found my role is they are full of extroverts, but there's a lot of people in the field that that are not so great at, um, you know, the numbers and the the capital asset pricing and, and all the kind of financial things that you need to consider. And so I found a way to be a, a compliment to some other very successful people in the field. And as a team, we worked really well together and that's how we came together in this business. So That would be the advice I would give to those as, um, do those things and go make the most of it. And uh, don't be afraid to fail. You probably hear that from a lot of people, but um, it's okay. much better to chase the the big dream than it is to never try.
1: That is so true. Um, It seems we're um, quite risk-averse people in general, and a lot of opportunity is missed because of that. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking time to visit with us and Educate us on real estate, real estate investment, especially in office space and industrial. And congratulations on your amazing success. And I wish you the best in the future.
0: Thanks, Matt. It's been a real pleasure.
1: On behalf of the Sam M. Walton College of Business, I want to thank everyone for spending time with us for another engaging conversation. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast service and searching BeEpic, B-E-E-P-E-T I see.